Well, it's been a few weeks since my last reflection. Um, coming out of COVID, things have been a little manic. Um, and the losses in my life and leadership and ministry have been mounting rather considerably. And that's my reflection today. Maybe as you listen today, you're in a similar situation um, as you hope that we're coming out of COVID. Maybe the there is an accumulation of things around you that you're facing up to and dealing with. And I hope this reflection uh, might help you as it helps me. Terry Wardle said, ministry is a series of ungrieved losses. Now, his observation explains the accumulation of loss that pastors and leaders experience in church ministry. And uh, pastors and leaders are often unable to see the losses that build up, um, or they feel they can't express those losses for fear of how others around them might perceive their grief. And ministry is so mixed up, isn't it? Friends, colleagues, family, and grieving is hard at the best of times, but even more so in a church in a pandemic. But if losses are not processed, they pile up and they lead to all kinds of extra pain. By the way, not just for church pastors and church leaders. And this past COVID time has been an accumulation of losses personally and corporately with little or no time to grieve and process. Sociologists and anthropologists liken COVID to a slow-motion natural disaster. In other words, we can look at how human beings in the aggregate cycle through stages of a natural disaster and see the same happening with COVID, but in slow motion. Sociology can give some perspective, using previous disasters to forecast what might be yet to come. Indeed, sociology tells us that this time now, coming out of COVID, is the most dangerous of times. We're entering entering what's known as the recovery phase of a disaster, and it's the most prolonged phase. It can sometimes take years, and in the face of a huge disaster, it can take decades. Our adrenaline is spent, exhaustion sets in, losses have to be counted and processed, and rebuilding in the face of loss takes an effort amid the depletion of our resources emotionally and financially. Now, my son lost his job as an air traffic controller, made redundant due to COVID. My wife's father recently died. His uh, visits from family were restricted behind PPE gear and his funeral service has been delayed due to social distancing restrictions. The church I lead no longer exists as it used to. Trustees, staff and leaders shared at the start of March last year our vision for the next 12 months. Catalyzed by lockdown, separation and isolation, we have had so many relational losses with people losing jobs, moving away and in some cases just disappearing. To name those losses and their accumulation is not a lack of faith. Indeed, genuine faith, real faith, is the kind of faith that can lament. And I keep reminding my church that denial is not a spiritual gift and is more like superstition. The, the idea that if I keep other people's sad thoughts away from me, nothing terrible will happen to me. Even Paul the Apostle who could worship and see Jesus at work when imprisoned or shipwrecked, had occasion and need to lament his losses. He shared with his church community in Corinth that we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That's 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9. 
Now, N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar and prolific author, early in the pandemic wrote an article about lament. Time magazine published it, and it caused quite a stir. He suggested that we, Christians, give up trying to explain why is this happening, and instead practice the biblical notion of lament. Let me quote him to you. The point of lament, woven thus into the fabric of the biblical tradition, is not just that it's an outlet for our frustration, sorrow, loneliness, and sheer inability to understand what is happening or why. The mystery of the biblical story is that God also laments. Some Christians like to think of God as above all that, knowing everything, in charge of everything, calm and unaffected by the troubles in his world. That's not the picture we get in the Bible. And I think I agree with Tom Wright that that indeed is not the picture we get in the Gospels in the Garden of Gethsemane, for instance. Gethsemane is a story of the brutal nature of trauma and grief in a relationship with God. We see in the Gospels how Jesus takes three disciples with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James and John. Jesus asks them to pray and watch with him. They fall asleep, not because of being tired, but as Luke tells us in chapter 22, verse 45, because of their distress and their sorrow. Falling asleep in the face of trauma is a psychological protection mechanism. After everything the disciples had experienced with Jesus, it all seemed to have unraveled and come crashing down. Not only did they have their own losses to bear, the investments they'd made for the mission of Jesus, but they could also see the anguish that Jesus was in. Christ's own grief and sorrow was so great, an angel was sent to him to strengthen him in his prayers. Now, I try to imagine going from the highs of the miracles and intimacy and experiences of ministry with Jesus to that moment in the garden, a moment when all seemed lost lost, and even Jesus was in despair, telling the disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I suspect I would have closed my eyes too and wished I could escape, hoping, hoping, hoping to myself that this was not really happening. By the way, as an aside, uh, uh, Ronald Rollheiser has written a short and captivating reflection on the danger of falling asleep like the disciples, and I've put that in the the notes for the SoundCloud file for today. So, I find myself warned by this gospel story of the danger of falling asleep in the face of loss. Depression, like the disciples, would be easy to fall into. And by the way, as a long-term sufferer from depression, I mean no stigmatizing of those with depression. Disappointment and loss can cause us to fall asleep in all manner of disassociations from pain and overwhelm. And then there is the the sleep of numbing and denial, of throwing ourselves into things, anything that avoids dwelling with our losses. I think there was something that Jesus wanted the disciples to learn in Gethsemane, and that's why he asked them three times to enter into it, but they were unable to. To understand this most important lesson of following Christ, of how suffering is the root of the cross to transformation. Jesus had signposted this so many times, but the disciples still missed it, and we are in danger of missing it too. This loss right now was not meant to happen to me. That's what I felt sometimes. This disruption, this calamity was not my planned route with Jesus. I have my vision notes from March 2020, and they did not indicate me being here in a Gethsemane moment as I am today. Joseph Tetlow 
uh, a priest has written a version of the Ignatian Anima Christi prayer. And I've been using it in my prayer times over this past year. One line within it still takes my breath away when I read it and pray it. And I share it with you. I choose the awful agony of Christ to charge my senseless sorrows with meaning and to make my pain pregnant with power. It's on the road to Emmaus that the still traumatised disciples are unable to recognise Jesus. They're so caught in the events and their loss, they're quick to recount the well-rehearsed story of their loss. Like all human beings, they needed to make some meaning from their disaster experience. And Jesus responds to them saying this, Luke 25 verse 26, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So, may we not live in denial or indeed in despair. Instead, may we lament and express to the Lord and with each other the losses and sorrows we face. For to do so is how we choose the awful agonies of Christ, so that we might not fall asleep, but might move in the garden to stay awake and beside Jesus. And as we do so, may the Holy Spirit charge our senseless sorrows with meaning, for then we might receive our Emmaus moment, our pains made pregnant with power, where Christ appears to us, making meaning as he shows us what was necessary. So uh, thank you for listening. Um, If you want to catch more of these articles and podcasts, everything is on my website, jasonswanclark.com. Org. That's Jason Swan Clark, all one word, noeonclark.org. And uh, on there, you'll be able to subscribe to uh, an email newsletter um, to push updates to you for new articles um, and all the recordings. Also, you can subscribe to this audio podcast in Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes, and wherever else you catch your podcasts from. Um, and lastly, thank you for listening. And if you found this helpful, please like and do share with others.